Ollie Ollie Oxen Free movie fans, because ready or not, you're up for another episode of Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk, we talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, movie fans. This I am your host, Dimitri Panos, for Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie. And yes, we do talk movies. Hey, I am so stoked today because I'm getting to introduce to you, number one, co-host Tara Erickson, who's bringing you to the show. Hi, guys. Please say hello. It's me, Tara Erickson. You know me through AfterBuzz, but I'm new here to Anatomy of a Movie. And very glad to have mm-hmm. you. Happy and to be here. Already, already, Tara has has more than proven her 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 gravitas to the show because it was her diligence and hard work that we have a very special show today. Number one, if you couldn't get from the cold open, we're going to be talking about Ready or Not the movie. Okay, so but not just. I mean, Tara and I could do this all on our own, but Tara went the extra five hundred miles. <laughs> and we're actually going to be talking with co-director Tyler Gillette. Tyler, say hello. Hey, hey. everybody. So happy to be here. You know, and we're very happy to have you. This is uh, this is a treat and an honor. Uh, we are a, basically, we're a review show. I'm not sure what Tara told you. I don't want to... Uh, 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 like be redundant, but we're an in-depth re- review show. We go above and above, <laughs> uh, uh, above and beyond opinion, and we talk about the making of the movie uh, because many fans like to not only like give their opinions with one another, like they'll go see the movie, then they go to their bar or restaurant or home, and they start talking about the movie. And this is what anatomy of a movie does. We talk about production. We talk about the collaborative effort that it is to bring a movie on screen. So uh, it's great to have somebody from the in inside, because he's deep, deep, deep inside <laughs> as a co-director. So he'll be able to tell us like so much about Ready or Not that go above and beyond production notes and even articles that we've read and the research we did. So, Tyler, thank you very, very much for being here. Yeah, it's an honor, and uh, I love I love talking movies. So, <laughs> whatever whatever you guys have, whatever you want to ask, I, I I am I am an open book. Well, you know, Tara, I want you to start this off because it was because of your due diligence and hard oh, work. I'm just going to get and, right into yeah, it, please huh? Do. Yeah. Well, I just I had a fun to. question. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to ask, what was your most favorite scene that you shot in the movie where you yelled "cut" and you were like, "That's the money shot." I have a feeling you might say the end, but I don't know. I just want to know. Because I know you and Matt like kind of share a brain, right? And then you have Chad on the side producing. So I feel like with three people involved, um, there might be some, like, not arguments, but conversations to be had. But I'm wondering if there was ever a shot where you all three came together and you're like, cut the check. I, I mean, look. If you've seen the movie, you know that there are so many insane moments and insane gags and set pieces and insane performances. And it's it's um, I'm not sure if there's one in particular that sticks out. You know, the ending, actually, because uh, so much of what we how we shot that was practical. Um, it was actually very technical. It's sort of you get excited when the the technical part of it actually works because 
there are so many variables and so many things that can go wrong. But I, I think for us, you know, we were always just um, we were just blown away by our cast. Every every time we would show up in a scene, and you know, we were we were very very short schedule. We had to shoot really quick. I think the most takes we had of anything was three, and even that was rare. Um, I think that we always were just blown away when we actually pulled off a scene because there was so much dialogue and so much coverage and and you know so many so much movement within the scene and so much to do with the camera. Um, I, I think every scene uh, when we were walking away, we were sort of pinching ourselves like, "Holy shit, did we actually <laughs> did we actually just pull it off?" That's awesome. Um, so, so I, I would say, I mean, I know I don't, I don't mean to dodge, and I can, I can talk specifically about moments that I really love in depth. But it was, um, it was a real. I think making any movie is a is a collection of of small miracles. Like it, it takes a lot of. A lot it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. A lot of just serendipity and and things going your way to pull it off at all and um we certainly had had all of that on our side on this project yeah that's not dodging the question at all something else tyler and the audience uh in utah for being uh first on uh we have ryan in the booth by the ways who's already familiar with the show he made his debut next to me last week on blinded by the light that's but he, right. he handles our zeros and ones and our sound make sure that we look good that's why my camera is masked um <laughs> in any case uh so when we're talking about movies we we are a we we talk spoilers okay mm-hmm. so okay. Uh, this so it's okay. Uh, I'm warning the audience. Uh, by this time, um, you know the movie's been out. Hope you've seen it once, maybe even twice. Hell, even a third time. So <clears throat> we are a spoiler-rich show because, like I said, it's as if we just watched the movie and now we're talking about it. So don't worry about giving anything about the ending away or any plot points or twists. Uh, audience you've been warned if you haven't seen the movie well why the hell not number one number two put it on pause because this is one discussion you're going to want to be a part of but you can't do it unless you watch the movie so watch the movie come back there there we go shields up ready the phasers and come back and then take us off pause and then you too can be part of the discussion and we do uh encourage you to write in on YouTube, uh, tell us what you think. We want to hear your comments as well. So, uh, Tyler, before I start getting into the movie, I want I want the audience to get a great feel about you because many people who do tune in and listen, they want a career within this biz called show. And so you're from Flagstaff, Arizona. You went to uh, University of Arizona for film school. Um, how important was film school for you, what what classes did you take uh, that that brought you into say at being a camera operator uh, on what was it semi tough I believe so yeah I, I mean I I had an, I had an incredible experience at film school I think that um, 
you know, for me, for me, a, a formal education in, in the arts was really more about, um, I mean, certainly learning the critical study side of thing, I think is valuable learning about how to have, how to have conversations about movies, why the things that are, that are successful are successful. And, um, you know, so much of what works and, and what is, um, great about good storytelling is not accidental, right? It's right. It, it, years of craft goes into, to, um, to making a moment work. And so I, I think that certainly there was there was that just getting a sense of the value of um, of all of the different parts of, of the production that go into making something um, something great. But I think more than anything, it was about discipline, you know, and, and really um, uh, getting a, getting a sense early on of what it takes to uh, to complete a project. Uh, it's very easy to start something. It's it's very hard to finish it. And in, in film school. <laughs> You know, you you are accountable to a lot of people. You're accountable to your classmates, to your professors, to a grade. And so it was, um, I think, I think a valuable experience in um, and just in just teaching, teaching me the discipline of, uh, of finishing a project. Yeah. Um, and, and I was very lucky after school to uh, to kind of have a second a second film school when I met um, when I met up with with Chad and Matt. Uh, I consider that <laughs> I, I consider our our collaboration to really be a film school as well. You know, we, right. um, we came up in the days, early days of YouTube, uh, and we were just DIY filmmakers, you know, Chad, Chad and Matt had been working together, um, as Chad, Matt and Rob, this really just fucking fantastic, um, action adventure comedy group. And I connected with them, uh, one summer, 10 years ago, and we've been working together ever since. And and it was a you know it's it was in its earliest days it was all hands on deck. We did everything from writing the script to to mixing the sound to to you know the craft service. I mean there was there was no part of the process that we didn't touch. And and um, I think uh, I think that was also just wildly wildly formative on a technical level. We learned how how to make a movie. Yeah. And um, and so yeah I, I you know I think that. Um, Certainly, the critical study side is important, but the making of things—that's that's when you realize what it what it takes and what it is to you know to create and to create a story. When did you decide I'm going to Los Angeles? Come well, my family LA. my family is all from here, so okay. I, you know my parents were born and raised east of east of LA, and um, my grandparents live out here, and so mm. it was it was always it always felt a little bit like. Uh, going home to a certain extent because I spent so much of my so many of my summers out out here with my family. Um, but I I knew I wanted to make movies from from very very early on, and I and I and I wanted to do photography as well. That was a big part of it. I I, um, I also studied photography in school, and so that was kind of my in to the uh, to the business in a lot of ways. I came up you know sort of vocationally, you could say, you know, as a as a camera operator, as a film loader, as a as an AC. And, um, and found that while I was behind the camera as an operator, um, with, with working with Chad and Matt, that, you know, I was doing a lot of, a lot of directing. And so it sort of evolved, this love of directing really evolved naturally out of, out of the technical side of, of, um, of the process. That's fantastic. Um, I want to ask you too, because you, you, you said you were a DP, uh, I, I always believe that a director, aside from his crew and the cast, but he heavily relies on DP and editor, and uh, and and conversation between these three people. I, I always found to be very integral. What did you take from being a DP and then making that leap into being a director? What do you take with you um, from from cinematography? Like, 
you already have sense of camera, which is great. Um, but you hear sometimes like um, um, when Harold Ramis was directing Caddyshack, he had no idea. He'd never directed anything in his life. And he would put a camera down on the golf course and the DP would come over to him and say, you're going to want to move your camera. And he's like, why? He goes, well, the sun's coming up over there and you're going to lose your shot. So obviously being a DP must have helped you a lot in, in making in becoming a director. So what, yeah. what are the most important traits? Hugely, hugely. So, I mean, I think, I think a large part of it for, for, um, for me was just, uh, having an understanding of what is and isn't possible. You know, we, we were sort of starting out, there was a certain, there was a certain level of naivete in the way that we approached the process that I actually think is really, is really valuable in us, you know, figuring out and, and discovering our voice. And we certainly understood, you know, Chad and Matt and I, the kind of the, the rules of, of filmmaking and cinematography and how to compose a shot and how to, you know, how to design a scene and how to edit, you know, cross coverage and all of those kind of, you know, basic technical tools. But um, I think that coming up as a DP, what I learned, what I learned really early on is that it, it doesn't take much to capture a great story that certainly like there are, there are levels of technical proficiency that are like, that are absolutely mind boggling. And our, our DP on ready or not, Brett Jukowitz is a great example of that. He, he pulled off shit on this movie that I, <laughs> I, I still just scratch my head, like on a technical lighting design level. I'm like, well, that's that's not something I'd ever <laughs> I would ever be able to accomplish. That's like, you know, that's that's his his true love. Right. But you know, coming coming up through camera, I think um, it really influenced the style uh, of how Matt and I direct. You know, we came up really run and gun. Uh, we didn't have a lot of money, a lot of time to set up lights. And so it was really about um, it was really about shooting things as naturalistically as possible and adding the camera to the scenes last. Right. right. Not not um, not blocking super specifically for a frame, but instead allowing the allowing the, the action and the performance to really exist and the camera to be the thing that's swinging around and capturing it. Right. Um, which which is certainly, I think, evident in Ready or Not. There are a lot of moments yeah. where it feels really frenetic and it feels like you're not on a stage, right? The, there's a world existing on the periphery of the frame and the camera isn't afraid to, to pivot and see that world at any moment. Right. And that was really, that was really just, that style I think was really born out of just understanding um, the basics of how to, how to use a camera and, um, and, and how it's really a tool and it can be used in so many ways. But for us, it was about like, a tool to capture as much fun, awesome information as possible in as short amount of time as, right. as possible. Tara, we were talking before you said you had had a cinematography or DP question. Oh, I so. just wanted to ask if it was the first time that you worked with this DP. Because I know that you guys on Southbound and other movies, you know, you guys have done the editing yourselves and you said that mm -hmm. you've run camera before. So this is the first time that you've worked with this DP? Yeah, this is the okay. first time we worked with this DP. This is the first time we shot in any of our projects uh, with the, with the DP, I've, I've shot, uh, operated and shot all of our previous work. So it was a, um, it was a really interesting, it was a really interesting process. I think there was a lot of, um, 
there was a lot of I, I would I wouldn't even say anxiety. I think there was a lot of just the apprehension about like, ooh, are we are we releasing this amount of control to the right to the right <laughs> person? And ultimately, he came in and was just I mean, right off the bat, was just like, oh shit, we're we're in we're in good hands. We well, made the right decision. Well, yeah. the movie looked great, um, and and it's funny that you mentioned that there aren't that many. Uh, the one that comes to mind to me, directors who were cinematographers, uh, Peter Hines. Uh, yeah, DP. Soderbergh as well. Soderbergh yeah. is an operator. Like he operated camera on all of his. Uh, I, I, he still does yeah. as well. He's so, very much. I know. always find that amazing. So I want to talk now too about Ready or Not, because I think there's a, a, a ton to dive into. Um, number one, uh, influences. When you're coming up with this, outside of Rosemary's Baby, which I've read a lot, but I want to hear. What else went into the pot when you were coming up with this story uh, as movie lovers uh, for Ready or Not? Yeah, it's a really good question because I think that um, the first thing that really jumps out to people, um, and it's what jumped out to us when we were reading the script, is that Ready or Not does this. It has this ability to pivot between tones really seamlessly. And it's not just one thing. It's it's um, it's a movie that is a, a real mix of of many genres and all genres that that we love uh, that somehow miraculously come together to like feel feel like a singular mm-hmm. <laughs> a singular thing. And so for us, it was, um, you know, usually when you go in and you're like pitching a movie to the studio, you talk really specifically about comps and about, you know, what the feels like. This is our comps for this when we were talking about influences were just all over the fucking map. It was like, <laughs> we talked about Rosemary's Baby. We talked about The Shining. We talked about Jaws. We talked about Fargo. We were, it was just this, this insane, weird mix of things that all were representative of different parts of what we loved about the movie. But we also knew that because there was no one movie that was like, oh, this is this, is this that we were onto something new, that there was something really unique and original about, <laughs> about the tone. Um, and, you know, to, to the credit of, of Searchlight, they usually, you know, studios have a tendency to want to, to want to narrow, to really squeeze the guardrails in and narrow what the movie is tonally. So they can know specifically how to market it. And, and, and the more specific it is, the easier it is to like, get it out to a certain audience. And Searchlight was the opposite. They were like, we, we love all of the weirdness of this. And, and want to push it in, 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 into the extremes of its, of its unique identity. Um, so we were, we got really lucky with that. Right. It's, it's rare that that happens. I have to ask because one movie in my discussion, uh, like whether on meet the movie press, another show that have mm-hmm. done uh, a movie that came up a lot. And personally, uh, I'm somewhat of a fan, but I'm more of a, um, murder by death fan, but a movie that came up a lot was clue. clue. I knew it. Clue. I knew he was going to say <laughs> that. Yeah. I was like, I'm so surprised that you haven't said clue yet. Especially because <laughs> I wrote down that the pepper oh. box revolver, like that Emily had has been like the, the oldest, you know, the gun used in clue since like 1972. So yeah, I agree with that question. Yeah. Clue absolutely was a huge, I mean, our original, um, our original artwork that we used to pitch to the studio, we took a, uh, we took the original um, board game box for Clue, and, <laughs> and appropriated it and used redesigned it to fit to fit the tone of the movie. So it was, we, you know, we we changed the we changed all the artwork on the cover of the box, the text to say Ready or Not instead of Clue, obviously, and then we we changed all the other text to kind of fit and feel like thematically and you know conceptually what the movie was about and then you know using using just our our you know 
some kind of novice Photoshop skills added blood splatters <laughs> to the <laughs> to the cover of it. So it was immediately the tone was immediately clear. You but didn't have Clute a copy of that handy to show us, did so you? <laughs> That'd be great if you had a copy of that to show us. That, oh. that sounds awesome. Yeah, oh, I um, want so badly to release it. It's like <laughs> you work so hard on these materials when you're pitching a movie, and then when you like when it actually gets made miraculously, you realize that you've been using materials that are all copyrighted, and, right. and so the the legal process and like releasing something like that online is right. just insane for people. But maybe someday, maybe maybe in the distant I, I, future. I hope. When- and and again, I say, look, much respect to Clue. I'm a big Murder by Death fan. So I'm Neil Simon. I'm the, 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 the classic cast. So um, I do have a. I'm gonna I'm gonna change tones because I, I speaking of tones, I do want to talk about your blending of horror and comedy. Before yeah. I get into that, um, I want to talk about. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about the movie The Hunt. Yes. And so so this movie The Hunt, um, it was pulled from release. Has people can make an argument that there's a similar theme at least people hunting people people hunting somebody uh when that movie got pulled were you folks concerned about that did it concern yeah did it concern you um and the release of your movie i it concerned us but it didn't it didn't concern us we didn't have concern for the release of our movie Mm -hmm. Um, i think that our concerns were our concerns were uh were more about what that what that says about where we're at culturally and, and politically, that um, that something can be made uh, and that no one can see it, and that we can all somehow culturally have an opinion about about that um, before we've before we've had a chance to actually weigh in and and understand what uh, what kind of conversation that that piece of art is is trying to have. Um, so I that that concerned us, right? That's a bit of a slippery slope. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna if you're gonna pull a movie out of theaters. Um, for for whatever reason, uh, and and I should I should preface all of this by saying I, I have not seen the hunt, so I don't know I can't speak to what the movie what the movie is is or isn't, but um, I certainly am a, a fan of Lindelof and a fan of of Zobel, and they are smart, um, articulate, sensitive storytellers. I, I think that their past work kind of speaks for itself in that regard, and I have to I have to believe that there was probably some something of value in that in that project and it's unfortunate that um that we don't get to that we don't get to have that that conversation uh, I, I agree but ready is like it's i wouldn't i mean ready or not certainly not apolitical but no, I, I, right. it's we're not making a point of it of being political which i think is the difference really right. yeah i was i was actually quite surprised um you know i mean it's also a blumhouse movie uh, put out by a big studio, uh, Universal, and um, you couldn't help if you're a movie fan and you pay attention to these sort of things that seeing what was happening to the hunt are people going to make these dopey comparisons, right? And when you have people like you know the person who's supposed to be leading this country tweeting about something that he and or staff have never seen and it's all hearsay, it it really does go show like pop media and how it can be affected by by pure rumor and and by people i call them the internet trolls because people will have an opinion about something without even having seen it yet Mm -hmm. and it's so hurtful i think to uh, as a moviegoer um to art itself uh you, you should let it play 
Yeah. Like they said in Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, let them play and have it out there and make up your own mind. Don't have somebody tell you whether it be the commander in chief or some internet troll. So, yeah, and we vote with our dollars, right? right. That's what the that's, that's it. What business is. Um, Absolutely. If, if it's not something that you that you feel interested in in letting into your life, then then um, don't do it. No, you got more power to you. Don't you know? Yep. Don't don't let it in. Don't let it into your life. Right. I, I think that's. Um, but I think I think that um, you know there not enough responsibility and ownership is being taken on the part of on the part of you know the viewers sure. <laughs> to censor censor themselves I, and censor what they you know what they agree and disagree with. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about something a little more fun. Uh, I want to talk about the blending of horror and comedy. Uh, it's been done through the ages. Whether you're a big Abbott and Costello fan, whether you like John Landis and American World in London, uh, or whether you like Robert Zemeckis, Death Becomes Her. Um, it's a very tough thing to do, yeah. Uh, in my opinion, uh, because you're you're putting together these two genres that are so far apart from one another. And I, I guess you can also say I think that really good horror isn't really good unless there's a little bit of levity in it to give you a breather and then bring you back in again and terrify the crap out of you. But there are those movies uh, that, that do... It's a fine balancing act. How hard was that for you to to walk that tightrope? Was yeah. it difficult for you? Uh, and, and how did you get... What were you, How did you get around it? How did you walk that tightrope? Well, I look, it, that tightrope was something we started walking just it was the first it was the first challenge of this project was um, having having figuring out how to articulate the tone and um, how to have a conversation about it in a way that sold that sold what it was honestly to people, because it's 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 easy to say horror comedy, but it's also wildly reductive. Right. Like horror comedy is can be so so many right. so many things. Um, it can be that can be camp that can be, you know, parody that can be satire. So it was it was finding finding a way to um, to really have the, the right kind of conversation about what it was tonally. And ultimately, the script, uh, you know, written by Guy Busick and Ryan Christopher Murphy um, mm-hmm. was the, the blueprint for that. I mean, what what the movie is tonally was really well represented from the earliest, earliest drafts of the script. Right. It was what really drew us to the to the project this kind of insane mix of of genre elements and and comedy um and you know the the tightrope the the way that we've always walked that tightrope and if you go back and you watch some of our earlier earlier work um it's i would say that um it's present in all of in all of that stuff and and in a lot of ways ready or not was kind of a return to a to a style of filmmaking and and a tone for us um for us, it's all about it's all about walking into the craziness of of a story with a character who you relate to, and then putting that character into a situation that they're just wildly unprepared to deal with. Right, right. Like we 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 aren't we aren't like the setup setup punchline kind of storytellers. We're more about the situational and character based humor. Um, that's how that's how those tones have always co- coexisted really really well for us. Um, and, and then, you know, I I think to that same point, um, having an ensemble that represents a different range of tonalities was also really valuable, specifically for this movie that you have on played by Nikki Godogny at one end. And she's like batshit crazy, right? Uh She is, she is 
the guardrail to the far to the farthest farthest degree and then the other the other end of that is you have Adam Brody who plays Daniel and Mark O'Brien who play Alex who are who are these like you know deeply deeply saddened characters yeah. they've they they're really struggling with who they are and who they are in this family and what what the past has has done to them and Within that, you, you get to represent such a such a wide variety of perspectives and and tones that um, that it all somehow seems to work. And and then you have a great cast who right. who own those characters. They play them from a from a place of being incredibly grounded. Nobody is doing the silly superficial arch version of their character. I mean, Melanie Scrofano, who plays Emily, she she is so off the rails with her cocaine and drug use, but she always feels, it always feels real. It always feels like she's behaving in a way that's, that's real to her upbringing and real to her experience. And so all of those, all of those things start to work together to create a world that feels, um, it feels really lived in and really believable. And that's, that for us is where the best, that's how to walk that tightrope. Right. Great. Tell Since you said you had three takes, normally in the third, because I heard that Andy McDowell was the one who improvised Totally Dick and something about Give Me the Fucking Lanterns, which yeah. I thought was great. It seems like you guys run a really fun set that it's kind of like maybe, do you do like two takes and then on the third, are you just like kind of make it your own where everyone can kind of add in what they want? Or um, did, was that just like, oh, just happenstance with Andy? Um, it's, we show up pretty, pretty prepared and pretty on book. I mean, we have to be when we're on such a tight schedule, but, and this is to the credit of the cast, you know, everyone came in and, um, the, the writing was so great and so specific for each character that it was always really clear who they were, but the cast from, from, you know, in, in every role, even Georgie and Gabe played by, you know, uh, Ethan Tavares and Lynn McDonald, like they, they brought a, a real, um, a real sense of life and humanity to those characters. And I think that people feel felt like um, they could take some chances. Like it was the characters and their approaches were, were so respected by us, of course, because, oh my God, we had this insane cast. But there was, I think there was an opportunity um, for everyone to really, to really bring something new and interesting to it. And as long as the core, as long as the core conceit of the scene uh, is is intact as long as the the information the narrative information that you need to push the story and the character arcs forward is is present and accounted for then all of all of the stuff around that we think is fair game in terms of how to how to play it and so we were you know we're, we're pretty we're pretty focused on making sure that that like the core stuff is really dialed in and is working and anything outside of that is it's it's a free for all <laughs> who was uh speaking of cast who was the hardest which character was the hardest to cast for you oh man um you know they were all they were all pretty tricky to cast but only because we were we were um really late to the casting process uh we after Samara we even got on board you know she was our first like you have to build right. the movie around around grace right that's the She's the foundation of of everything. Um, it, the, the movie sort of sits <laughs> sits on uh-huh. her shoulders, and she carries um, it well. And I remember we walk we'd walk into our our production office up in Toronto, and uh, the first thing that you'd see when you'd walk in would be our cast board, and you know you it's it's the name of the character, and then a headshot of the actor who's playing them, and there are like fifteen speaking roles in this movie, and 
up until like the final week of pre-production, Sam Samara Weaving's <laughs> headshot was the only headshot on that wall. <laughs> so it was like you'd walk in, you'd walk into the office to a panic attack, and you'd leave the office to a panic attack. But you know, uh, I think I think one of the things was uh, that was great is that the script was so specific that when we found when we found actors who read it and loved it, we knew they loved it for the same reason. There was no way you could read you could read this script and and feel like, ah, I don't know about it. You know, it's like you either, you know exactly what That's it is great. from, from the first page. And thankfully, you know, having that, having that as a compass, I think really guided the right people to, to the project okay. in a lot of ways. Well, we, we, I know, uh, from what I understand, we were running a, a little, a little bit out of time, but I want to, two final questions. One, Tara, if you have a final question. And- um, sure. I just wanted to say that, I mean, I think Samara makes a really great final girl. I'm wondering if in the beginning of the script, when she's actually smoking and kind of like, she's not being like a totally pristine, normally like horror genre final girl. Um, she is at the, obviously at the end. Was that already written in or was that uh, a direction? I assume it was in the script but um i wanted to to ask yeah no it was it was written in and you know one of the things that um there was this sort of perfect perfect marriage of the script and then and then sam's interpretation of of who she wanted grace to be um we actually really loved the idea that the script uh in so many ways is trying to subvert the trope of of what the final girl is right that it's not about this this you know perfect you know pure damsel in distress that by the end of the movie is gonna like find this strength inside of her. Grace is a character that's fucking strong from the start. Right. She's been through some shit, right? She's she's been in foster homes. She's lived on the street. She's probably had to fight somebody for for a meal. Like she's she's a girl who who can fucking scrap and hold her own. And then it's the movie's job, it's the story's job, and it's the family's job to stack an infinite number of obstacles in front of her that she has to, that she has to get through to survive. And, um, that was, uh, I think we're, we're, we're so, we're so proud of that in the script and we're so proud of how Sam, uh, how Sam brought that to life. We love that Grace is smart and resourceful and she does the thing that a normal person would do in that situation. We think that's a really important, um, it's really important for keeping keeping the audience on on her side, but also just creating a a series of of um, of struggles that feel believable and and uh, and like there's like there's a lot at stake. Yeah, it's yeah. it's weird as a horror fan to be honest, and I'm, you might think I'm way out of left field on this, but I didn't even look at Grace as being the final girl yeah. character because I looked at the movie in a sense too. It was almost like an action movie. She had all these obstacles to 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 overcome. Mm-hmm. And for me, the final girl is usually in a situation like Grace. At a point, knew she was being hunted like by this family. To me, the final girl, like a Laurie Strode, is unaware as of why. Like, why is this happening? My friends are getting killed all around me, all this. And I looked at at Grace as being more or less, for lack of better words, a a heroine who had to survive what's being, like, like this set of circumstances around her. Mm -hmm. Whether it be going into a dumb waiter, fighting off. Like, I looked at her more as an action hero, uh, in a sense, other than... Like a final, like 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 a final girl or a scream queen, yeah. because she was so great. So Die Hard, Die Hard was another reference, another movie yeah. that we talked about a lot. Um, yeah. And 
and, and in a lot of ways, right? That's that's John McClane taking out a, right. <laughs> a building a building full of people trying to kill him. All <laughs> <laughs> right. And then and, and on a and on a costuming level too, we talked a lot about um, his white tank top as a <laughs> you know as a as a as a comp for the wedding dress and how it you know you really see the character in in their costuming wear the experience of the right. <laughs> of the night yeah. shoot the glass which is exactly what you did with her i mean i know you guys went through 17 wedding dresses to get the the acclimation of like exactly where she was in the film just the mood and yeah. every step which i thought was great well i yeah, think ending that dress <laughs> i think ending on a diehard reference is the perfect way <laughs> i agree to end, uh, as well as to say Again, Tyler, I, I cannot thank you enough for the time you donated uh, to us today. I, I could go on with you for at least another 45 minutes. <laughs> I want to talk about like the house and your setting, but maybe some other time, uh, maybe when the yeah, Blu-ray comes uh, out. I know Chad and Matt would love to would love to jump on sometime with all of us, with all of you, and let's well, let's let's put it together. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure really, it out for sure. Release when it comes yeah. out, we'll promote the hell out of that because there's so much to talk about. But man. You were great, and and what I love about talking with directors is the way that directors speak and tell stories. And Tyler, you were gracious for coming on. Uh, we're uh, humbled and honored that you were here. Your stories are fantastic. Please, you always uh, you're always welcome to come back and chat movies with us, whether it's something you directed or something that you want to just talk about. That would Absolutely. be awesome. Absolutely, thanks for thanks for having me, and thank you guys for for the support. It it really. I mean, you never, you know, you, you never know. You only can make something that's a reflection of your taste. And when you when you realize that other people share that, I, that's the highest the highest compliment you can be paid. So thank you so much for for the, for going out and checking out the movie. Our pleasure. You're awesome, Tyler. True. Thank <laughs> you very much. Thank you, Mario. Have a great time. Yeah, Have a I'll great be- day. Good weekend. Bye. Bye. Wow. That's all I can say. So awesome. Is, thank you. Tara, because, you know, if I woke up this morning and somebody <laughs> said, hey, we're going to have the director of the movie you're going to talk about today. Say, my first question was, did I like the movie? What? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, that was... That was awesome. That was, that was awesome. Was yes. Ryan in the booth. Yeah. Hey, Ryan. Yeah. Such a great, such an interesting interview. I mean, how awesome is it that uh, an original film of 2019 and I really hope people go out and support it. Everyone's always complaining about not having any original movies anymore, but when they come out, you, you got to go support them. Yeah. Yeah. And it is his in-house to speak. I mean, he, he did what we did. I mean, <laughs> when he talked about DPing, yeah. I, I mean, like we could only cover like, you know, we only have a fine gloss. You can only scratch the surface on that. And he was fantastic. He was great. So and it was amazing. Yeah, I'm, I was super glad that they, they that he agreed. And Radio Science is their production company, yeah. for those of you guys who want to look more into it. They started out directing interactive features, uh, uh, adventures on YouTube. So Yeah, I mean, again, there's so much to talk to him about. Because speaking of comedy and, uh, you know, horror, I mean, he worked. He made shorts for uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. Yeah. He worked for... So that, to me... Again, going back to the blending, comedy is a dance uh, that's well timed. You need to, for the joke to stick, it needs to hit a perfect. It has to hit at that perfect spot, and your actors have to carry it off. For horror, it's a little bit different. Again, it's still a dance as to the director ratcheting up tension when to let the audience go or how long do you keep them on that hook before you scare them out of their socks and seats. And 
the blending here, it had it, and it had some gore, and it had some, like, what the fuck moments. Yeah. So... I want to, you know, he's got to come back because I got to talk comedy with him <laughs> and got to talk. I, I wanted to know about two of the sets because, again, I loved how he talked about the cinematography and shooting within that house. Because right. a lot of the lighting seemed to be a lot of candle lit, right. natural lighting, which lent to the suspense and the direness of it. Yeah. Because it was all. Well, it's actually th- by dawn. three different locations, yeah. two like museum historical places, and then one room that they built. Right. And they, they only built the goat pit, which you'll see. But um, yeah, because they could only get one room with actual practical coverage with blood, obviously. In these museum of homes, they couldn't do the rest, and they don't like CG blood. They didn't want right. to use it, which is why I think the last scene is so great, because it is all practical, and yeah. you're just like... Yes, that's what I came here for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's great. And the movie does not shy away from blood, particularly at the end right. of the movie. And there's, I mean, yeah, sure. The, copious the, 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 amounts of, of blood, blood at the end, but throughout, too. Yeah. 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 So, totally. uh, in the goat room, I half expected a surprise special guest from the goat from the witch to show up. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. But, you know, uh, a crazy scene nonetheless. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, so ready or not, the other thing I wanted to talk to him is about brevity. Movies like 95 minutes long. Yeah. And, you know, in a summer where we've been having movies broaching, like, it is two, it, chapter two is two hours and 45 minutes. Mm hmm. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is three hours. Yeah. They're just talking about the Irishman being three and a half hours. Now, look, folks. You know me, I've said this before, I don't care what your runtime is, just make the movie damn good, Yeah. because a 90-minute movie can feel like three hours, and a three-hour movie, if it's really good, can feel like the time flew by, mm-hmm. and you don't even know, and then vice versa. So, uh, you know, but in this summer, 95 minutes was the perfect distraction for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I loved it. I mean, and specifically with this film, uh, you are kind of like on the edge of your seat, but also just having a blast at the same time. Um, I mean, there's so many things that happen. Aunt Helene and I don't have the actor's name. um, uh, Just at the very top, when she's hiding in their bedroom, she's like, "You'll have to hide better than that." You're like, "What? This is hilarious!" (laughs) Like, it's just so fun and funny right off the bat. uh, Which I I just was like, I'm gonna adore this movie yeah it, it, it for, for this summer it works because number one for me anyways yeah a lot of the tentpole franchise movies it, it was a summer of meh for yeah me yeah and i think in part because there wasn't a lot of something original mm-hmm. so I tended to gravitate towards things that I haven't necessarily seen before. Right. And I'm a big horror fan, so the trailer pulled me in from the get-go. Yeah. I was really looking forward to it. So, again, for 95 minutes, it was the perfect summer distraction. It's very rated R, Mm -hmm. which, again, a lot of studios shy away from making an R-rated movie. And... This being Fox Searchlight, which is now under Disney, mm-hmm. right? It's weird to see that on Wikipedia. Sort of, kind of. And it's also weird. Disney Disney has no idea how to release a movie. Like, it's just, it's not in their wheelhouse 
anymore. It used to be in the 80s, not today. So bringing in Fox Searchlight, you know, is really smart because this is going to allow them to not be Marvel 24-7. Right. So I don't need Marvel 24-7. I got nothing against Marvel. Don't get me wrong. But it's nice to see something else. Yeah, I agree. Especially this summer. Yeah, let's get down and dirty. Let's see some blood, some action. Some blood, some action. I think Crawl is another great example Mm -hmm. of this summer. But ready or not, you know, right from the trailers, you know, got you hooked. And I'm glad that we talked about Clue. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That pops up. And they use, like, six methods of murder in Clue that happen in this movie. And like I said, you know, all the weapons that you see in this movie are just like, Clue, Clue, (laughs) Clue. It's so great. And they just, it's so exciting. Well, every time I talked about this movie, somebody brought up Clue. Yeah. And... Again, no disrespect to Clue. It's it's a fine film. It's slapstick comedy, which this movie isn't exactly slapstick comedy. So if no. you did go in expecting Clue, right. you, you, you might have been a little bit disappointed. I like what you brought up. I mean, you make that great parallel of the methods of murder. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't a mystery. They want to kill her. <laughs> and... <laughs> Um, here's something I want to throw to you or ask you is about, so we need to get this done by dawn before sun up. And, you know, if not, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. This needs to be done. (laughs) And about halfway through the movie, I'm thinking to myself, is this all bunk? Like, 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 this is baloney, right? Like this, this can't like. Grace has to be thinking, like, Grace is like, what the hell? Like, seriously? Like, you really think? And, like, they're not telling us they made a deal with the devil, but they're telling us they made a deal with the devil, and you're like... Yeah, okay. Which is even the family might not right. might think it's bullshit because you pick up Finch typing into his phone. First of all, getting to know your crossbow move. Hilarious. I laughed out loud yeah. for like a good full minute. But you do catch him <laughs> later. It's a nice callback to Finch being on his phone in the bathroom. Right. Is satanic family like game hide and seek bullshit. Right. Uh, which I thought is hilarious because he didn't even know. He's just like, I don't know. They made me play old maid. Um, and so uh, I think all, everybody is on the same page except when you get to the very end, the I think we're all just being like, oh, yeah, I mean, that's a game. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, now they explain it, which I, I loved how they they kind of, you know, they, they leave you waiting because you're like, I hope they explain it, which, you know, they will. But I. I actually really believed it. And also the last name Ladomas. Domus actually uh, means house inhabited by upper class. Um, Because I knew once I saw that name, I was like, oh, okay. So, you know, I mean, of course, writers would make it all connected. But I just find all those facts very interesting. Yeah, it it makes the the levels and layers of the movie that much more fascinating. But when you get to the end, I think it was wise and smart. And it was probably in the screenway that way, too. So the blinds get pulled. The sunlight comes in and everybody's like, "Oh God!" I knew it was bullshit, you know. <laughs> so and then, funny. And then, and then the confetti, yeah, starts blowing, oh, popping. so lovely. And again, I didn't uh, when um, when uh, Aunt Helene, yes, like when she goes, God, I love her. gonna kill her," and then she explodes. I was like, "Okay, who took her out?" Yeah, like somebody took. I'm like, somebody took her out, right? Because I didn't see anybody else with a shotgun that would do that kind of damage. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else started uh, exploding, and then I was like, 
what are they going to do with the kids? There's no way they're going right. to have the kids explode on. Oh, okay, they're going. They're boom, going boom, off. Boom. They're off. They're yeah. off camera. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's one of those rules: you don't kill kids uh, on camera. Which right. Friday the Thirteenth movies uh, clicked off every. Oh, you're giving us rules. Oh well, we're going to break this rule. This rule. Break but them this all. movie was. Uh, it was a good rated R fair. Gosh, yeah. I mean, it was so great. It, it kind of made me think, like, what game would you want to play if you had to play to death? And I'm like, no. I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, like if it was a board game, because this is so such a board game thing. Like they self clue or like but you know, they, so it's yeah. like, what board game would you want to actually play to death? Not a type like this, but like old maid to death. Like if you had to choose, that's crazy. Shoots and ladders. Maybe? I don't. No. I, yeah, Candy connect Land? four. No. I don't know. No. God, I mean, I just would be like, let's yeah, end I'd it. Be, end be, it now. Yeah. I'd be out. Yeah, yeah I'd be yeah. out too. Yeah, and, and the hide and seek thing. You yeah, know? but again, well, here's. How come nobody's just yelling all y'all and nobody yells all y'all out? Uh, come on out. Come on out, everybody. Yeah, we're kidding. And yeah. Then, but uh, no, Samara, Samara Weaving was fantastic as mm-hmm. Grace. He's absolutely right. I love, again, coming from a director's mouth, he is right that the, 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 the movie rests on her shoulders. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. It had to be surrounded. Uh, everyone had to come around. Yeah, Grace. they had to, and they had. To, she had to carry uh, this movie. Which, by the way, is I was a huge fan of the Babysitter, mm-hmm. uh, another wonderful uh, twisted little movie. It's on Netflix, and of all people, McGee directed it. And I, you watch this movie, and it's equally as good. It's so good. I was wondering this could have made money theatrically. Did you see the Babysitter? I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's no. very. She plays a babysitter. Yeah. She has uh, her favorite uh, kid. Yeah. And he has a mild crush on her, oh, but only to come to find out that she's part of some cult. And uh, he st- he stumbles across this, and they're trying to hunt him down and go, oh, my God. So it's crazy. It, it, it has comedy. It blends horror. She is fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's a really fun movie, so I recommend if you have not seen The Babysitter, I believe it's still on Netflix. Go check it out. Samara Weaving's fantastic. I wanted to talk to you about Adam Brody. Yeah. Adam Brody, to me, I'm watching this movie, and he was genius to be cast, and it made me wonder why are we not seeing him in more movies? He's he's good. I agree. I, right? I, went to the, I went to the movie with my friend, and I was like, where's he been? Yeah. Um, And and I loved his character, Mm -hmm. Daniel, specifically. I felt like his character choice, um, I mean, Adam played it really, really great, but that he specifically, Daniel, as the character, brought in a really awful person for a wife because it shows his morality as a character of like, I can't bring good into this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to bring beauty, but just terrible. Um, So I feel like when he's met, Daniel specifically with um, Samara's uh, husband, who is his brother Alex Alex brought in a a moral compass and Daniel didn't know how to really deal with it mm-hmm. and Adam Brody did a really great job of walking that line the threshold of he it He really did and, and, and to your point like where's he been And she, I love this kind of casting yeah. because you're taking a chance it's a studio please and I don't misunderstand I mean no disrespect to right. Adam Gr- Brody but you are. You're taking a chance. Yeah. You're you're bringing in Andy McDowell's another one. Uh, so is in Henry Zerny. 
but Adam Brody, who's who had he had a modicum of, of fame for a bit, you know, mm-hmm. and but I was like, why isn't Hollywood utilizing him more? He can play some comedy. He obviously in this movie he was really good. It's not like he's a bad looking dude. So no, no. I mean, he should I be would... used. He should be used Hello? more. Hello, <laughs> Hello, Adam Brody. So, yeah, Adam. So I, I was. He should be used more. And to to me, his casting uh, too, because you you needed that for the brother. Yeah, and he in a sense was this defeated moral compass. Yeah, that he had the moral compass, but he's just. I was bummed when he died. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I mean, because he, he he was the only one that actually had the balls to like <clears throat> be like, oh, I think I'm gonna try to help end it, right? And and let her go, even whilst knowing it would be sacrificing the rest of them, right? Yeah. So he was really good, Henry Cerny. We were talking before. I love this guy. He's a character actor, but he's always you can always pick him up. But he was in the mm-hmm. Brian De Palma, the first Mission Impossible movie. He was uh, Ethan Hunt's. He was superior. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's that great scene. They have this great line of dialogue when they're in that like sushi restaurant or restaurant with the big fish tank that explodes. Uh, and he's he's just great. I would like to see him play against his type because usually plays an asshole. Mm-hmm. He, he looks like he could play a good guy. I like I like seeing him. He's, I agree. he's one of my favorite character actors. And of course, Andy McDowell. Yeah. You know, she's she's been around. I mean, it's Andy McDowell. And, yeah, and yeah. so it's. I always love seeing actors come into something that you really have not seen them be, in in before. Like I would never picture. I, w- I would picture her being in like a suspense movie, but not like a gory, bloody horror comedy kind of thing. So I like that she's on board because, again, it just lends something to the movie, and I like seeing, in a sense. New faces. I know she's not a new face. But, but to the genre, she is. Up. And on set, she literally said, all right, so listen, I've never thrown a punch in my life or what? on set. So can you can we work this through before I go through this? And they right. had to kind of talk her through how to throw a punch and make it seem believable. Yeah. And that's just, that's Andy McDowell. <laughs> yep. And so if that's not more proof as to she's very a new face to this genre, or at least what she the character she's playing mm. There you go. It's kind of surprising because she was in Hudson Hawk. I mean, <laughs> not that that, not the five people who are watching right now, one of them watched that movie, and that's me. Uh, but it was kind of a Bruce Willis actioner. Uh, but it, again, you're right. It's great. I always love it when they bring in people that aren't, um, that you've never seen in the genre right. before. But old school. But old school. And it further proves that they love acting. And that they can act. Because if you can act, you should be able to do any genre. That's the way I look at it anyways. The silly way that I look at it. Well, I think we've really... God, Tyler, again... Hey, can we get the applause uh, going there, Uh Brian, please? He was great. Well, no, Tara, you were great. Uh, That was a great get. I'll take it. I give you uh, all the credit in the world. Thank you. You you really made the show better. Not only, it wasn't just the guest, but you being on. Thank you very kindly. Thank you for having Um, me. Love to have you on again. Yeah, love to be Uh, back. We still have 
Well, summer's over. Eh. But we've got... Um, Is it? No. First day falls until September First something. First day falls until September. I, I know. Think it's so season. Yeah. But, 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 I know, but for movies, it's kind of over. Summer what? movie season's yeah. over, but yeah. we got a lot yeah. of great films yeah. for the fall. In fact, on uh, another episode we just put up today for Film Critics Weekly was a whole fall preview of festivals right. to come and big yeah. movies coming no, out. No, I so. can't wait because we'll be talking about some of those festival films. Yours truly, first time, uh, first timer going to Toronto International Film Festival. Very excited, but we'll have it chapter two uh, yes. to talk to, to talk about uh, everything else that's coming out in the fall and going into the winter. You're you're welcome to come back. We'd love to have you so we can talk about all of these movies yeah. uh, at chapter two, which we'll do after Toronto. So take a week off because there's really nothing opening this week, anyways. I don't think there is. No, not really. So take a week off. Come back. People have seen it. Chapter two. I think the conversation is going to be great, so you're welcome, please. Yeah. Uh, it's worth talking about. Where can people find you? Guys, you can find me everywhere on the internet, Tara Erickson, especially on YouTube. That's T-A-R-A-E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. And you can find me right here on Popcorn Talk Network's Anatomy of a Movie, also uh, a host on Meet the Movie Press and on the Twitters at Dimitri Panos. Folks, thank you very much. Please comment on YouTube. Have an amazing Labor Day weekend. We'll be back to talk It Chapter 2 in a few weeks. Please go to the movies. Thank you very much to our guest, Tyler Gillette. And thank you for watching and listening. Bye, all. Have a great weekend. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.